0: Well, Claire and Andrew, uh, thank you so brilliant that you've been leading us in worship. What an awesome song. The Lord is my salvation fits so perfectly with our theme uh, today. Well, good morning to you. It's great to be with you. My name's Chris Brockway. For those of you who I don't know, I have the real joy of being involved in the leading of the church here. There's some exciting weeks ahead of us. Next weekend, we're celebrating the marriage of Rachel and Henry. A couple of weekends' time celebrating the marriage of Andrew and of Claire, who you've just seen on that last worship video. And two, we're taking the journey towards reopening uh, the church as well. We're going to share more news about that in the weeks to come. The trustees and the staff team have been working really hard in preparation to make sure the church is a safe and a secure environment for those who do feel able to come. We'll share more news about that in the days to come. Well, today we come to the penultimate week in our teaching series, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Mission. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you'll recall that this series is very much rooted in Acts chapter 26, which captures this amazing story of the Apostle Paul as he has an unexpected audience with King Agrippa. Well, to set the text in context, Paul has been in prison for a few years precisely because he's been passionately following Jesus. He'd had that really dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road. And in the story that we join today, he's retelling the story of that conversion to King Agrippa. And since that moment of conversion, as you might recall, as King Agrippa, uh, as Paul says to King Agrippa in verse 19 of our text today, he says, I was not disobedient to the vision that I receive from heaven and he certainly wasn't it was a vision and obedience in combination that would lead him to a place in prison in the early part of Acts chapter 26 Paul one who's never one to miss an opportunity simply but powerfully shares his testimony with the king and in summary he says to the king do you know what King Agrippa I was once a Jesus hater but now I am a Jesus lover King Agrippa, Jesus has changed me and he's transformed me. He could change and he could transform you. But more than that, not only have I been saved, but also I've been called. Jesus has called me to be a witness and to be a servant. You'll remember that from the first two weeks in this series. Well, three weeks ago, Kay reminded us that as followers of Jesus, we are called to be witnesses. We're called to stand up and we're called to speak. Positively, politely, personally and purposefully. Two Sundays ago, I spoke about the call that's on all of our lives as followers of Jesus to live lives that are distinguishably, distinguishably, it's difficult to say that word, different. I wonder if you remember, don't be a wally. Don't blend in, but stand out and serve for Jesus. And this week, we, we stay with Paul's encounter with King Agrippa. And the challenge today is another standing challenge. It's to stand by and to shine. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Acts chapter 26, verses 12 to 20. Uh, We're going to read these together. If you've on the online church platform, you can look this up using the Bible tab. So it says this, Acts 26, verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a bright light from heaven. It was brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of all that you have seen and all that you will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them. Why? To open up their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision I received from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and then to those in all of Judea and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So having first told the how of the story of his conversion in verses 12 to 15, in verses 16 through to 18, Paul shares the why of his conversion. He passionately recalls, doesn't he, how God has saved him, but he goes on too to say why God has brought him into relationship with Jesus. And I think there are at least two reasons to that why question. And these two reasons hold true for every single person who's come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the first is really obvious, isn't it? Because God delights in bringing lost souls into a relationship with himself. That's one of the reasons why God saves us. God makes an invitation to Paul and Paul accepts it. And we know that nothing thrills God's heart more than when when. Than when, when than when men and women and boys and girls run into God's arms of mercy and accept his grace for the whole of eternity. Nothing delights God more than when lost sheep are being rescued or when prodigal children, those who have slipped away from the faith, come running back into the arms of God, not to be judged, but to be embraced even by uh, the father with tears coming down his eyes. But there's a second reason that God saves us and I'll come to that reason in a moment. But first of all this morning I want to encourage you if you've never yet made that decision to come into a relationship with Jesus or if just maybe this morning you're somebody who knows that you've wandered away from your relationship with Jesus. I want to encourage you today, why not today, don't delay to make that decision to accept Jesus as your Lord in heaven. There's an amazing promise in scripture, which is this, that there will be a party in heaven on the day when you come to faith or you come back to faith. And the promises of God that are yours when you come into that relationship are absolutely mind-blowingly awesome. Not just for this moment when you make that commitment, but too for the whole of the rest of eternity. Why not this morning make that decision to choose Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Well, in verses 16 to 18, Paul shares with King Agrippa that Jesus not only saved him so that he would enjoy eternity in the presence of God, awesome as that is, but also he was saved so that he might have a different opportunity as well. And that opportunity was to introduce others to the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't this just brilliant? God makes an invitation. We either accept it or we reject it. And the promise is, is that if we accept it, then we're encouraged to extend that invitation of coming into that relationship with Jesus to others. God says to Paul here in this moment, as he recalls it, rise and stand on your feet, because I have appeared to you for this purpose, Paul said, or Jesus says to Paul. I've appeared to you for this purpose to make you a servant and a witness of the things that you have seen and the things that you will yet see. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Why? To open up their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may may receive uh, forgiveness of sins and inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. And I wonder if you saw what God did there in the life of Paul after telling Paul to stand up and to rise to his feet to be saved Immediately, without hesitation, Jesus announces his commission or his calling for Paul. Paul stands to be saved, to be sent, to be on standby to shine and to serve in the sanctifying saving of sinners. Far too many S's in that sentence. But I want us just for a moment to briefly notice a couple of really big picture things before we get really practical about the application of all this this morning. And the first is this, is Paul hears the announcement from Jesus that his saving is purposeful and that it's good news. Now, I've probably said this already, so I'm not going to labour the point this morning. But Paul, like every single one of us, was saved for a purpose. Verse 16, for this purpose you are saved, Jesus says to Paul. Verse 17, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Verse 18, why? To open up their eyes and to sanctify them. Jesus tells Paul so categorically in the moment of his conversion or immediately after it that he's been saved for a purpose, to be a servant and to be a witness. And we thought about that over the past few weeks. But then Paul, recalling the words of Jesus, goes on in his testimony to King Agrippa to put a bit more flesh on the bones. And the simple message is this. Paul had grasped what Jesus had already said, that as the Father had sent Jesus into the world, so Jesus sends his people into the world. We're sent to serve and we're sent to save and we're sent to sanctify others. And it's in that sense that we're a missional people, a people who go with a purpose. Now, of course, we should say, shouldn't we, in and of ourselves, in and of our own strength, We can't save anyone. I've never saved another person but by the grace of Jesus at work in their life I've been involved in seeing people be saved. I can't effectively serve another human being in the purposes of God without God's spirit being deeply at work within me. I haven't got a hope of sanctifying another person. I struggle enough to sanctify myself and yet by the grace of God and by the economy of God's we get to be involved in the sanctifying of others as we live for Jesus. In some amazing miracle of God's grace, he takes ordinary people like you and like me to be involved in this extraordinary mission where saving and serving and sanctifying is is part of what Paul does. And get this, or or part of what Jesus does, get this, Jesus does this through us, through people just like Paul. Ordinary people, people in an extraordinary mission so I wonder how do we join in with this sense saving sanctifying mission and I think we join in by first of all by being on standby ready to shine for Jesus now there's far too many S's in this this morning I think I swallowed Kay's alliteration book from a few weeks back but we join in by being on standby ready to shine for Jesus In the same way that Paul was to be a witness of the gospel experience that he'd encountered, well, so are we. Paul was a man we know from the scriptures who lived his life in a constant standby mode. He was ready in a moment to, to shine for Jesus. He was a bit like most of our TVs or probably most of the devices that we're watching this on this morning. It was always on standby. Now, of course, that's not good for the environment, but that's the way most of us operate our TVs. Ready at the click of a button, ready to be illuminated for action, ready to broadcast. That's the call for us, to be ready and to be on standby. I wonder if you remember those words that God spoke through Peter. And Peter once challenged believers to be just like a TV on standby mode. In 1 Peter 3 verse 15, Peter says, always be prepared, be on standby to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the, for, to give a reason for the hope that you have. And then he says, but do this with gentleness and do this with respect. Doesn't that link beautifully back to all that Kay said to us in that first week about being a witness? Always be ready, be on standby to give an answer for the hope that you have. As we live our lives, our Christian lives on standby, we should be hopeful that God by his grace and by his mercy can use us to help be involved in changing others just as he has changed us. So that's the first thing. There's some good news. But secondly, I want us to see from this story that Jesus' announcement to Paul also contains some bad news in verse 17. Jesus is very honest to Paul he says to him look Paul being on standby being ready to shine for me isn't always going to be easy. Jesus promises Paul that he would deliver him from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles. Now of course these aren't really the words you want to hear do you just after you've made a commitment to Jesus. Hey, Paul, awesome that you've committed your life to me. But now, Paul, prepare yourself because life is about to get incredibly tough for you as a consequence of that decision. And Jesus' promise here to Paul of deliverance is so obviously, isn't it? A, A prophecy that there's trouble coming his way. Now, of course, these are not the words that we want to hear. But I'm so grateful that Jesus is honest about this reality. Sometimes the journey of faith can be difficult. And as Caroline has already reflected in her testimony with us this morning, it's not always easy living as a Christian in the different spheres of life that we live. And of course, we know from Paul's story that he experienced the trouble that Jesus said he would experience. But what you'll notice from this story today is that it was his experience of trouble, it was his persecution in this moment that gave him the greatest opportunity to witness before Agrippa in the first place. If it weren't for the hardship, he'd have had no opportunity in this moment to shine before the king. Those words from Romans 8, 28 bring such comfort to us, don't they? In all things, in all things, good or bad, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The point I want to make is that as ordinary people, we engage in this extraordinary mission that Jesus calls us to, But every now and again, there might be a few bumps in the road. As we live our lives of faith for Jesus, we can expect that there'll be a few difficulties and challenges along the way, oftentimes with our family and friends not understanding what it means to live as a person of faith. But there's a great promise attached to all of this in this story. And it's this is that if we maintain our hope in the midst of these troubles and we continue to trust that Jesus is going to accomplish his purposes in them and through them, then actually there is hope-filled news for us, which is my third point. You see, Jesus' announcement to Paul was absolutely hopeful. We see that in verse 18. Jesus says to Paul, stand up, stand out, stand by, share the good news, and there might be a few bumps in the road, which is bad news for you, but it's going to be well worth it because actually there's a hopeful message yet to be shared, and there's hope of transformation. Transformation. Jesus tells Paul, look, Paul, as a result of your ministry, the opening of eyes is going to happen. There'll be people turning from darkness to light. There'll be people leaving Satan and coming into a relationship with God. The Gentiles are even going to receive the forgiveness of their sins and they're going to be involved in this inheritance. um, And they're going to be a people sanctified, made pure, made clean because of their faith in me. What a great endeavour. And I wonder if there's a greater endeavour that a man or a woman could be called to in life than to engage in this kind of saving, serving, sanctifying ministry. Regardless of whether we're doing that full time, part time or some of the time. With such a promise, it's a small wonder, is it, that Paul was always constantly so hopeful in his ministry, even though he knew the bad news of the ministry. And we need to remind ourselves of this amazing truth that the gospel is no less powerful today than it was in Paul's day. The gospel is still in the business of changing and transforming people's lives. The gospel is still saving. The gospel is still serving and the gospel is still sanctifying in the lives of people. The gospel is still able to open up spiritual eyes. It's still able to lead people from darkness into light. It's still able to bring people forgiveness and eternal life. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that in following the example of Paul that we should plant as many churches as he did or that we should make as many disciples as Paul did in his life, and his ministry. I'm not suggesting either that any of us necessarily will be called to experience the kind of hardship that Paul experienced. But what I do want us to hear this morning is that we have an invitation. The invitation is to come to the table of Jesus Experience Jesus and encounter Him at that table, and then move out and invite others to also come to that table to experience Jesus for themselves. And I wonder, what does that look like for you? Most of us are not going to be called to be nuns or monks. Most of us are not going to be called into the kind of ministry that I have the privilege of exercising. Most of us will be exercising this saving, serving, sanctifying mission in the places where we find ourselves in every day maybe even as you're watching this now you're thinking well all this stuff about being on standby and shining for Jesus well that's all well and good for you but when do I have opportunity to share aren't you talking about evangelism here and anyway evangelism's rather scary isn't it but I want to suggest to to you that you've already begun the journey of evangelism with the people that you know and love You've already begun the journey of evangelism with people who you work with or you socialise with on a daily basis. And that's the really encouraging news today. All of us have already started in this journey. So it doesn't need to be as scary and as daunting as we might think. And what I want to do, just as I draw towards a close, is just make a very practical application of what this might look like for you and for me as we engage in this journey of joining Jesus in this mission. And I want to use this morning the illustration of tables. And most of us have already started this journey of sharing with our faith, even if we're not even aware of it, by simply sitting at our desk, sitting at our office table, being in the workplace, being on the vegetable plot at the allotment, being down at the pool table, the craft table, the bridge table, the computer table, sitting on our tablet the way we organise our timetable, the way we organise our charitable work. Can you see what I'm doing with all these table words here? But what I want us to see from this first table is that we already engage quite naturally in conversations with other people. And perhaps one of the challenges is to transition our conversations about everyday life and the weather and all that kind of stuff that happens in all those different spheres and to take it to the next table. And the next table is the coffee table. Now, this is my favourite table to hang out at. And it's at the coffee table I think I have some of my most significant conversations. So I wonder what would it look like to encourage a work colleague or a friend or somebody from your social club or whatever the sphere is and say to them, Hey, I've really enjoyed this chat at our desk today. I'd love to have a conversation at a coffee table. What would it look like to drink coffee and to just socialise with those people? And as we have opportunity, just say a little bit more about our faith in Jesus. Sometimes it's as simple about dropping the hint. Do you know what? I watched church online at the weekend and it was really great. Or maybe it's a bit deeper that and saying, do you know what? I had a difficult time last week and I prayed and do you know what? I think I saw an answer to that prayer. Or maybe at the coffee table, we can take opportunity when a friend says something to to simply drop in a Bible verse or something that's really encouraged us in the past. So can you see the transition? We go from the office table to the coffee table, but then there's another step. There's another table. We can transition people from the coffee table to the dinner table. Now, the dinner table in our house is where the depth of conversation really happens. It's also the place where lots of conflict happens as well. But if you invite somebody to your dinner table, you're extending to them hospitality. You're saying to them, do you know what? I've so enjoyed our conversations at the coffee table. I'd love for you to come and experience some hospitality. And it's at the dinner table that so often we have depth of conversation. It's at the dinner table that we're likely to have that experience where a friend will say to us, please could you tell me about the hope that you have in Jesus? It's in that moment we can go from standby to being fully alert and being fully switched on, ready to share our hope in Jesus, as Peter spoke of. So we've journeyed from the office table to the coffee table to the dinner table. And of course, the great desire, as Paul unpacks and as Jesus explains to Paul, the great hope is that others will come into relationship with Jesus. That as a consequence of our sharing in these different spheres, that we'll discover that these individuals will become brothers and sisters in Christ. And when they become brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the amazing pleasure of not only sitting at a dinner table with them, but joining them at the communion table. What a place to be able to lead another place person to, to the communion table, not only with you, but they also with God. The greatest pleasure ever is when we have the opportunity of inviting a friend or a family member, to join us at that table as a brother or a sister in Christ. Four tables, the office table, leading to the coffee table, leading to the dinner table, and then we pray, leading ultimately to the communion table. And of course the challenge in all of these spheres is to be and to um, remain creditable, creditable people people who are living authentic lives for Jesus that's the most effective witness we can possibly be when we live passionate authentic creditable lives for Jesus others will look at our lives and say please would you tell me about the hope that you have in Jesus so as I finish I just want to encourage you to think about where you're at in your different journey with friends and family members. maybe at the moment you find yourself at the office table invite them for a coffee so that that conversation can go a bit deeper. Maybe you've done coffee and you've been in that place for a while. Invite them to dinner when you can. Share intimacy with them, share hospitality with them, and the conversation will go even deeper. And my great prayer is that many of us, as a consequence of this journey, will experience others come to faith in Jesus as a consequence of our witness, as we join with them as brothers and sisters at the communion table. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing story of Paul and his conversation with Agrippa. Lord, thank you so much that Paul is just simply telling the story of his conversion as he has opportunity to do so. Lord, thank you too that in this story of Paul we discover a man who is saved. And what a great purpose to be saved, to spend eternity in the presence of our amazing God, our amazing Saviour. But Lord, thank you to you for that deeper call as well that calls us to be witnesses, to be servants of you, to be on standby, ready to shine as and when we have opportunity when others ask us about the hope that we have in you. Lord, we just take this moment just to say thank you for those people who are in our sphere of influence. Lord, help us have the boldness and the courage, the spiritual insight to know when to take conversations to a slightly deeper level. Lord, our great longing is that these folk who are our friends and family would one day be called brothers and sisters as we join together at the communion table as family.